0: This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen.
1: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're very glad you could join us again today. Is there a high level of complexity when it comes to liability cases and Medicare set aside? And when is an MSA a good choice in a liability case? Well, today on Ringler Radio, we're going to talk about the handling of liability cases where Medicare is involved. And joining me as my co-host in that effort, is uh my friend Peter Early from our Bedford, New Hampshire office. Peter joined Ringler Associates back in 2005. And uh, prior to joining Ringler, Peter worked for U.S. Senator Lincoln Chafee down in Washington, D.C. And Peter was uh, very active in lobbying on behalf of the healthcare industry. So Peter, welcome to the show and welcome uh, back to uh, co-hosting.
2: Thanks for having me back, Larry.
1: Terrific. And also joining us today is Tom Blackwell. Tom is Vice President and Program Director of Ringler Medicare Solutions, also known uh, as RMS. You can find out more about Ringler Medicare Solutions at RinglerMedicareSolutions.com. So, Tom, welcome to Ringler Radio. Uh, glad to have you.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Terrific. Terrific. Well, Tom, uh, you uh, began your, in your role as a program director of Ringler Medicare Solutions back in December of 2012. Tell our audience a little bit about Ringler Medicare Solutions and uh, what new developments uh, might be in store.
3: Um, Ringler Medicare Solutions is a full-service Medicare compliance service provider to the insurance industry. Uh, we work with attorneys, uh, plaintiff and defense, and uh, our our mission is to make the process of Medicare compliance simple. And we do that through uh, our uh, our single point of contact, uh, methodology and, and, and philosophy. Uh, we provide Medicare set-asides. We take care of, uh, conditional payment lien negotiation and resolution processes. And we also advise our clients on when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate to actually produce maybe a Medicare set-aside and, or, um, if negotiating with Medicare is a, is a, is a good option.
1: Well, what would you say, uh, sets RMS or Ringler Medicare, uh, solutions. What, is, what sets them apart from some of the other companies in that industry? It's It,
3: it, it boils down to attention to detail and uh, the understanding client needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a, a boutique. We are not a, a, a giant MSA company. We are specifically and intentionally staying of a certain size to ensure that our clients that use our products are uh, given the the a, a world-class experience for all intents and purposes.
1: Terrific. Um, Terrific. Well, last time you were on Ringler Radio, uh, Tom, we discussed uh, how RMS can help with uh, the administration of workers' compensation claims. But this time, let's focus on liability cases. And what are the kind of liability cases that you normally encounter in your role at RMS? It, it, it,
3: it spans the gamut. Uh, we've worked with uh, liability cl- claims. Typically, the only claims in liability that we're going to see are bodily injury claims so there's 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 that component and that commonality on all of the, the liability claims that we see. There is some sort of bodily injury. Uh, sometimes those liability claims uh, are are a third party component to a worker's compensation claim. Um, sometimes it's a, a an auto accident, a slip and fall in a store. Uh, We are currently working on a a class action lawsuit where there are about 329 applicants. And uh, so, you know, it it, it spans the gamut.
2: Well, Tom, when I'm out there in the field, people are always kind of looking to see, you know, is is this something that would apply to me? Is this something I should be considering? Can you give me, you know, a real-life example of uh, when an MSA was used in a liability case?
3: Absolutely, Peter. Um, There are... One one in particular uh, that we just we just completed was a, a Jones Act case, and um, in that instance we we had a, a a seaman basically a diver who was suffering from decompression illness, and um, the the underlying causality of the decompression injury uh, or, or illness was in question, and so they settled the claim instead of litigating it. Uh, the, the initial damages were claimed to be around $22 million. They settled the claim for $5.5 million. But the future cost of care was like $3.5 million. Uh, and that's just a Medicare coverage component to it. We worked with, uh, with the parties and closely came up with a, uh, a much more reasonable funding of that, uh, that particular uh, future care need. By, by using apportionment and uh, taking, taking into consideration the compromise, uh, we were able to actually put together an MSA that, that only came out to about $800,000 versus $3.5 million. So it, it saved the settlement for all intents and purposes. Um, we also we also work on much smaller cases. <laughs> and, sure. You know we've had we've had uh, you know la- like last week we had a seventy thousand uh, dollar slip and fall and for all intents and purposes this 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 young lady eighty three years old fell down and uh, broke her hip and she did not need future medical care and so uh, the parties were adamant that they needed a Medicare set aside so we we actually produced a, an allocation that was a zero allocation. For the liability settlement and uh, protected the integrity of the settlement parameters, and will will basically keep Medicare from coming back in the future and trying to offset the entire settlement as a as a result of that that total payment obligation to the claimant.
1: Let, let me that's that's terrific. Uh, l- let me uh, go back for a second to the uh, diver that had the problems. Uh, one of the, one of the one of the ways you were able to reduce that future medical care uh, in the set aside was by applying something we call a, a, a medic a, a medical age rating to that claimant w- wasn't Absolutely. that true T- Tell us about that
3: the the medical age rating is uh is in essence a, a a a calculation where we take the comorbidity factors of the of the applicant and apply those to their life expectancy. This young man was about twenty eight years old but because of the the his condition as a result of the injury um, his his life expectancy was reduced by about 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, it, if we had used what what is commonly known as a standard age or his standard life expectancy, we would have we would have been funding an allocation or a future medical cost projection uh, about 50, 50 years. And because we were able to use the the the, the reduced life expectancy. Um, we 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 ended up only funding about 40 years of the of the claimant's uh, life, um, so that's the that's the benefit of the the the, the rated
2: age.
1: Yeah, it, prov- it provides it provides a saving.
2: And and on those rated ages, Tom, the the comorbidity factors don't have to be directly tied to the accident. Is that correct?
3: In in many cases, they don't. It, it could be uh, smoking. It could be. Diabetes. It could be a congenital disease. Uh, it could be a, a, another condition altogether. Uh, we take into account basically everything that that could reduce that that individual's life expectancy, and use that to help reduce the funding needs for future medical, so that the you know the settlements can go through.
1: All right, Tom. Uh, and let's go back uh, also to the uh, to the elderly woman that you mentioned, uh, where the. The defendants were insisting on a Medicare set-aside, even, even where there was zero future medical. Uh, what have you found in this area? You know, the fact is that liability MSAs, per se, are not, let's say, required by the law, but are certainly sometimes very appropriate. Have you found that, uh, in some cases, people are requiring or requesting them where they don't really make sense, but uh, sometimes they're, they're not asking for them where they do make sense?
3: I I do find in in some cases that the the parties are are, are being extra conservative and really worried about the whole Medicare compliance issue and don't want to, you know, end up on the wrong side of Medicare. So they're taking that extra step of caution. And, um, you know, personally, I I, I like to – I like those – those situations because it's it's much easier for me to 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 listen to the facts of the case over a phone call and say, you know what, this is what we need to do in terms of taking care of uh you know the Medicare question. In this in, in the instance of this 83-year-old uh slip and fall, all we really needed was an affidavit from the from the physician at that point who said that that basically states that her her condition has resolved there is no need for future medical and that would have sufficed um, and, and and you know there's there's probably a policy specifically saying you know if you have that that affidavit or it, it, it's reasonable to assume that there's not going to be future medical uh, there's no need to do a future medical cost projection Interesting.
1: Uh, Peter, what are you seeing out there in this uh, arena?
2: Well, what I found is that the pendulum has kind of swung from where it was five years ago, where a lot of people were saying, you know, these these MSAs are not required. Which, of course, they are not required in liability cases. And now, like what you just mentioned, Tom, on the other end of of the pendulum, people are being almost over conservative. Um, and I know what I know. You provide a service and a valuable tool to help resolve a lot of these cases, what is that happy medium where this tool is most effective in helping to resolve the case? What are the cases that should be in the middle of that
3: pendulum? The cases that it, it, it all boils down to the, the definition of reasonable uh, reasonableness, and uh, it's used quite a bit in all the case law that, that has to do with Medicare and Medicaid but if there's a reasonable if it can be reasonably assumed that this person is going to need future medical related to the alleged injury then at that point that's the red flag that's the that's the that's the whistle that starts the process for all intents and purposes we need to get in there and we need to decide from that point on do we need a full blown msa do we need to just come up with a cost projection what are what are our options uh liability is a is a Wide open field at this point because we're lacking promulgated policy from Medicare um, with regards to future medical and, and, and settlements. So we can we can do an awful lot within within the parameters of the of the the, the U.S. Code 1395 YB to protect Medicare's interest, to show that good faith effort, and and to do it cost effectively and in in a
1: timely fashion. Well, that's a that's a very important point because. In many cases where there is some substantial medical in the future that, that's been outlined by the, by the plaintiffs perhaps in their life care plan or other places, uh, to me, I've always uh, counseled that uh, if you have an MSA analysis done by someone, for example, like RMS, and that is in the file and it, sh- it, it shows at the very least that you've considered Medicare's interest under the law and you've uh, applied some degree of uh, caution as you move forward, right. and uh, it, it protects you as an attorney, it protects the, the plaintiff uh, in the future, even though CMS is not going to approve this thing per se, it's there as a, it's kind of a belt in suspenders for especially important cases with, with big dollars. What do you think about exactly.
3: that? Exactly, exactly. And you look at some of the case law that, that, that just recently came out, we could look at Serrett versus uh, Kelbert, where in essence you have somebody who falls down the stairs, mm-hmm. and you know files a files a you know a claim against the the folks that own the house and the settlement was hundreds of thousands of dollars, but in this instance, none of those funds were deemed for future medical this was all part of it was you know loss of consortium and there was all these other mitigating factors and special defenses that were brought up as a result of this case and so it was it was clearly it was clear to the court, and they made a you know they made a ruling that said, hey, none of this money is for future medical, but that protects Medicare. They they didn't have to do a Medicare set aside, but what they did do was that they they pondered the question, they addressed it, they brought it to the court, and they got they got their settlement. Um, in, in other instances, you have to do a Medicare set aside, and it's not. I hate to use the word have to do a Medicare set-aside or, or use the word Medicare set-aside. What we're doing is we're identifying what, what, what component you know, or what portion of the settlement proceeds are earmarked for future medical. And then by defining that amount, we limit Medicare's recovery rights in the future to the amount identified in the settlement language. So if we've got a million-dollar settlement and $100,000 has been earmarked for future medical, that's what Medicare can force the claimant to offset. You know, absent that 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 settlement language, that Medicare compliance settlement language, um, Medicare has access to the entire million dollars, and that's when all the nastiness can begin. Mm-hmm. When the claimant loses their benefits, or the plaintiff loses their benefits, and their settlement dollars, at that point, it's it's no hold bar. Everybody's at risk.
1: Well, you know, Tom, one of the one of the things that our audience, people in our audience, may be may be wondering is uh, when you're talking about trying to be as careful as you can. They're also talking about what does it cost? What's the cost to the to the to the person who's trying to get this thing put together correctly, of using a, a service like RMS? Uh, and there, are, I know there are a lot of others out there too. But there's a yeah. there's a relative cost uh, of doing this. Tell us about let's say in relative terms, even what are the costs for someone to put together an MSA analysis and to move forward.
3: Depending on depending on the complexity of the of the case, you could you could spend up to with 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 RMS you could spend up to about three thousand dollars. But that would mean you're getting a legal opinion along with your with your your allocation to support their, our our position of apportionment. Um, in a lot of instances, it's not going to cost you anything. It's zero because when a client calls me and says, "Here are the facts of the case," or uh, I get a call from one of my associates at Ringler, and they give me the facts of the case. We can knock it out right then and there, and I'll mm-hmm. maybe send over some sample settlement language that that will take care of everything. It's you know the the costs are nominal, they, especially.
1: But in terms of putting together an a MSA analysis for for a, a medium sized case, are, are we talking somewhere under two thousand dollars for something like absolutely, that? Absolutely, yeah.
3: absolutely, around eighteen fifty is 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 typical.
1: Well, I think that's always been a surprise to a lot of the lawyers that uh, I've dealt with. A lot of them think it's a, a much, much more. And uh, I think the concept of protecting the your as a as a plaintiff attorney, for example, sitting there protecting your client, your your client, protecting his or her future rights to Medicare, and then protecting yourself from any of the nastiness that comes if things go wrong, uh, for a sum of about that that size, uh, that typically. Uh, Turns the tables and turns the tides uh, for most of the people that are looking to do these things. How about you, Peter?
2: Absolutely. One of the things that I see a lot too is, you know, there's a there's a discussion or a question of whose job it is to contact you. Where you know, on, there's much more of a press on the workers' comp side, but a lot of times on the liability side, it's not as clear. Who are you finding right. is is generally starting the Medicare discussion? And in the end, whose responsibility is it to make sure that Medicare is
3: protected? That's a, a fantastic question. And the the answer is in liability I I see mostly it's it's the attorneys um that are uh, that are that are bringing the question to us. Uh some some of the larger insurance carriers have specific policies and handling protocols in place. So you'll get a call from an, an insurance carrier, but typically it's the it's the legal folks involved in the settlement. And um in terms of who is responsible it's everybody everybody who benefits from the settlement has a responsibility you know um, it, it, you know statutory obligation to ensure that this settlement doesn't represent uh, a cost shifting of future medicals to the federal government in my opinion and there is a believe me there is a huge uh, Horizon in terms of opinions <laughs> with regards to who is ultimately responsible. Um, the ultimate responsibility lies with the primary payer, I believe. Um, but everybody involved in the settlement is has skin in the game.
1: Tom, can you can you define primary payer? Who is the primary a pr- payer?
3: A primary payer is an insurance entity, and that could be an insurance carrier um, or a self-insured or an individual or an entity that does not have insurance. They're considered self-insured. Um, and those are the people that are responsible for uh, making payment, direct payment to uh, an applicant or plaintiff to release them from some liability. And uh, that, that release has to include a, uh, a secession or uh, a limitation on future medicals and if those if those criteria are met you're you're the primary
1: payer well you know you know one of the things and Peter I'm sure you've run into this too uh, a lot of plaintiff attorneys are the ones that are really concerned because they feel that if they don't do a medicare set aside in let's say a substantial liability case and the claimant you know gets all the funds and dissipates them and then looks to medicare and medicare says well where where did you consider my interest they're going to they're going to deny the the claimant that those Medicare rights and that claimant is going to look right back to his own lawyer and say, you didn't protect me. You you didn't do the right thing by me. And that's the guy that that, that seems to be in the crosshairs. Is that is that what you're seeing, too?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially, you know, Larry, I know in Massachusetts, it's the same for me as it is in New Hampshire in states where in workers comp cases, the medicals can't be closed out. The concept of a Medicare set aside is a lot newer than it is um, and maybe in some of the states, where lawyers who uh, who practice on both the comp and the liability side may have had some experience with it. So I, I guess Tom, I would turn that to you and say, uh, how how much uh, uh, do you find is of your job ends up being, you know, education and kind of clearing up some of these uh, questions about when it is required, when it's a good idea, that kind of thing. Uh,
3: about fifty sixty percent of my time is spent <laughs> discussing, you know, particulars of individual cases, and and. Kind of exploring that that Medicare compliance question in liability. Um, you know, of course, in work comp, it's all it's all kind of cut and dry and black and white. But uh, it, it's sixty percent. Sixty percent of sure. my time is spent just saying yes or no. And or
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. A lot of people are looking to to folks like yourself, Tom, uh, uh, and your organization to help them with those questions. It's 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 really the. The crux of the matter. Someone wants to have the confidence of of dealing with somebody that knows the answers, and uh, I'm sure that you guys are providing uh, very many of them. Well, listen, right now we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to be right back in just a minute, right here on Ringler Radio, talking a lot more about MSAs, Medicare set-asides,
0: and liability cases. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website, At www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit ringlerassociates.com to learn more. Ringler Associates has innovative solutions for legal professionals. In cases involving the ever-changing Medicare compliance factors, we work closely with our clients to assist in the identification of claim settlements where Medicare consideration is recommended. Go to www.ringlermedicare solutions.com for more information.
1: Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm joined here by my co-host, Peter Early, our Ringler consultant out of Bedford, New Hampshire, and our special guest, Tom Blackwell, vice president and program director of Ringler Medicare Solutions.
2: Now, Tom, earlier this year there was a case, and, and I promise you I was not the plaintiff in, in question here. It might have been a cousin of mine or something. But the, the case caption was early versus Carnival Cruise Lines. Um, it involved an alleged injury on one of the Carnival Cruise ships, and, and the question was whether or not, exactly what we have been talking about, whether or not a Medicare suicide was required. Can you tell us a little bit more about the case, and I guess more importantly, what the courts had to say about the issue?
3: Yeah, uh, it was a really interesting case in that basically there was an alleged injury on 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 the boat, on the big red boat, I guess it is, and then um, at some point the parties got to there were five there were five points to 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 agree upon to to settle this claim, and they agreed on four out of five of the of the settlement points. The the fifth item that they could not agree upon was whether or not the need for a Medicare set aside or a, a cost projector in identifying future Medicare cost was necessary. And so they took it to the court in essence and they they asked the court to give an advisory opinion. And interestingly enough, the, the court kind of took two positions on that in, in basically saying because you guys haven't agreed on all five of these issues, you really don't have a settlement, and it's not the place of the court to to identify or even advise what is appropriate and, you know, use your best judgment or, you know, look into the subject and make your own decision. I, I, I thought that was interesting because in a lot of instances in liability, we're seeing the parties go to the court and say, What's your opinion? Tell me what you think. Should have we done a good job in terms of reasonably, uh, you know, uh, taking in Medicare's uh, interest into account in this in this potential settlement? And more and more, we're seeing the courts kind of defer, sidestep the question and say, "Look, it's not our place." to 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 say yes or no or to give you uh, advice on this this is a decision that needs to be made by the parties and it needs to be reasonable and if if it's not reasonable then um you know your settlement is is subject to to msp rights and, and, and laws uh, so i i i think this kind of hits the 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 same note that when uh, early in the process everybody was putting medicare on the checks and sending the sending the checks to the plaintiff attorney, and then they were, you know, spending a year, year and a half trying to get the checks cashed to get through uh, by getting Medicare's endorsement on it. Uh, they don't like that anymore, and I don't see that happening much anymore. I think we may see that this same same kind of process is taking place. The courts are saying, look, we really don't want to be, you know, deciding for the federal government whether or not uh, a Medicare set aside is needed or not.
1: Sure. And uh, Peter, by the way, I, I, I'm not I'm not really convinced that that wasn't you on that boat, I want to tell you. <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> Tom, before we uh, end the show, tell us about uh, some recent developments involving Medicare set-asides, and especially in the liability arena. What's out there that we should be uh, thinking about?
3: Uh, we still have the advance notice of proposed rulemaking that was put out June of uh, 2012, and we're still waiting to hear back from Medicare on that. Um, basically this, this advanced proposed or is what they're, what they call it is, is in essence, Medicare's first step to promulgating policy with regards to future medicals in liability. Um, nothing to report on that so far, but we can see that Medicare by making that step is thinking hard about this subject. Mm-hmm. So we should expect to see something from Medicare in the next year or so, um, and then also, um, on, a, on a more local level, uh, Wrangler Medicare Solutions has uh, rolled out a couple of new products specific to liability, and there are, are, they're called our apportioned uh, liability Medicare set-asides. And these apportioned liability Medicare set-asides take into account the difference between a worker's compensation settlement, which is a commutation of future benefits, and a liability settlement, which is a compromise of, uh, of damages, and using that philosophy, we're able to apply a an apportionment equal to the percentage of compromise. Uh, there's case law to support it, and um, so far we've we've done some really good things with it, some really exciting things for some of our clients, and uh, the I, I think we're going to see more and more uh, folks wanting to use that. That particular product, and by the way, there are other vendors out there that have a similar product, uh, and so it's 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 not unheard of. It's it's uh, sure. it's in, it's inventive, but it's not innovative. Right. You know, it's been done before. So we're. I think we're I think we're in a good spot. We're in a good spot when we're when we're taking these these portions.
2: I was just going to say I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you this. But could you talk a little bit before we let you go about how an annuity kind of factors into an MSA specifically as it relates to a liability case?
3: Yeah, we could probably do a whole show on what I think why I think annuities are <laughs> important with Medicare set aside, um, future medical money. Um, or money that is earmarked for for future medicals in a in especially in this instance when we're talking about a medicare set aside in my opinion it, it is not money that is you know that 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 should have complete access to I, I, you know we've got to protect that money we've got to protect the the integrity of the settlement and we want to make sure that the individual who is injured has a a lifetime stream of income coming to them. Um, There's a lot involved in administering a a Medicare set-aside workers' cop and liability, and the fact of the matter is there's always potential for something to go wrong. And what an annuity represents in my mind is an extra level of a very deep level of protection to all the parties to ensure that 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 money is always going to be there. Even even if mistakes are made, more money is coming.
1: You know, a, sec- a, a secondary uh, reason for the annuities, Tom, for a lot of uh, the folks out there, is that it's very typical that no matter what you come up with, with the amount of money that may be required for uh, to be set aside in an MSA, the use of an annuity typically allows for less of that money to be used. It's a, it's a, it's a more cost-effective way of funding the MSA with the annuity, there, thereby providing a little more money for the plaintiff to put into their own pocket. So absolutely, it's, it's a win-win for everybody in the in the process. And plus, as you so well said, the mere existence of the annuity and the the mere inability of a plaintiff to dissipate those funds uh, really kind of shows that you've taken Medicare's interest even more into consideration. So I think it's a, a plus for everyone. Well, with that, I think we're going to say uh, terrific show. Uh, Tom, I, I think you did a, a great job. I think you've explained very well what RMS is all about and uh, and the liability MSA arena. Peter, uh, thank you for being our co-host. And uh, Tom, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that?
3: Best way to get a hold of me is to to call me at uh, at Wrangler Medicare Solutions. We have, uh, you can call me direct at or you can go to ringler medicare solutions.com and uh, call us at our 1-800 number if if you'd like everything goes direct to my direct to wherever i am in the
1: country terrific and peter how about you if someone wanted to get a hold of you how would they do that
2: you can always get a hold of me by phone. The number there is 603 423 0055 or shoot me an email. It's pearly at ringlerassociates.com.
1: Terrific. And uh, all of you out there, if you want to reach any ringler associate, you can do that on ringlerassociates.com. Uh, we're all there. We have a nice map tells us where we are. It uh, even has pictures, I, I believe, of all of us. And uh, if you uh, want to re- download any ringler radio show, you can do that from ringlerassociates.com, ringlerradio.com or LegalTalkNetwork.com, or even from iTunes, where you can download it and listen at your leisure. And uh, so with that, Tom, I want to say thank you again for being our guest.
3: Thank
0: you.
1: And Peter, thank you for being a great co-host.
0: Always a pleasure, Larry.
1: Terrific. And for the rest of you out there, go have a great day.
0: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit RinglerAssociates.com today.